This week on the Totally Biased Media Podcast, we get behind the wheel of Playground Games' Forza Horizon 5, discuss some big news about Microsoft's other games, Jackson uses the e-brake to drift, and more. Stay tuned for another high-octane, dubiously legal episode of TBM. I'm Jackson Walkup, and vroom, vroom. I'm Jason Simmons, and I drove my WRX into a dang lake. Now I got a scuba root. <laughs> I'm Jordan Walkup. Racing fans rejoice. Forza Horizon is back. And I already said it wrong, actually. But whatever. And this time, the high-octane, dubiously legal festival is making its way across the pond to beautiful <laughs> Mexico. Because uh, the last one was in England. So that's, it's across that pond. It's the same pond, but it's the opposite direction. Yeah. From the depths of the jungle to the heights of La Grande Caldera, Forza Horizon 5 ditches Hollywood's orange filters to show a colorful and interesting view of a Latin country filled to the absolute brim with English people. Zoom, zoom, baby. First and foremost, let's talk a little bit about our experiences with the series so far. Because for me, I played the first several mainline Forza games. And I liked them a lot. I think they're some of the best racing games out there. But when Forza Horizon 1 launched on the Xbox 360, it just completely changed things in such a fundamental way that I don't know that I could ever appreciate other racing games as much ever again. (laughs) The Forza Forza Horizon series is across the board some of the best racing games out there and i have played all five of them a whole bunch (laughs) i on the other hand have never played a racing game other than mario kart before playing forza 5 i guess that really goes in the face of what i always thought about racing games that you just started playing more of them as you got older because when i was 12 or 13 i was like racing games suck i don't want to play racing games ever other than mario kart and the older i've gotten the more i've gotten like at least a little bit into every racing game that I've played. Like, I've actually picked up some of the Need for Speed games, and then I've played all of the Forza Horizon games, and I absolutely love them. <laughs> and I've even gone back and played some of the old Midnight Club games, which I think... I, I think Forza Horizon is definitely built on the bones of, like, the golden era of Need for Speed mixed with a lot of what made Midnight Club kind of interesting and unique. Yeah, it's this, uh, it's this perfect mix of this sandboxy ridiculous flashy over-the-top stunt centric racing but it still has a lot of the precision and realism that you see in the mainline forza games which are much more closed course racing cars that perform in realistic ways on realistic tracks and it just takes that and pushes it so far outside of that hold zone i think that racing games as a whole are kind of generational because when i was in eh, like middle school ish age so like early 2000s 
there were a lot of racing games out on the market. This was like end of the PS2, Xbox era. And they were all incredibly edgy. <laughs> and they were like in a race of their own to see which one could be the douchiest. That's when you got, you know, some genuinely great games like the start of the the uh, Midnight Clubs and uh, Need for Speed Most Wanted, the original, which I still think is probably the best in the whole series. And like there was a lot of really great racing games then. But over the next several years, it shifted to just the high performance realism type racing, which I think has a more avid following, but is way less approachable. Like, approachability is the name of the game when it comes to Forza Horizon. It's kind of interesting, because like you mentioned, there was like this really edgy side of racing games that's more or less kind of disappeared. Yeah. Thank God. But I, I do remember in the early 2000s, especially, you'd have games like, like, like you mentioned, Need for Speed Most Wanted, Midnight Club, that were going for like this edgy underground street racing vibe. Uh, and then at the same time, you had the early uh, Forza Motorsports games and uh, stuff like Sega GT, uh, Project Gotham Racing. It, it felt like there were two very distinct and separate racing game communities. And one of them just almost completely dropped off the map. Yeah, because one was very much of its time, and the other was as close to timeless as you can get with a video game. <laughs> I, I guess the, the edgier one just kind of evolved into what we would now call like arcade racing. Yeah. That, that would include like the modern Need for Speed games and, you know, Forza Horizon. But then there's kind of, and I guess like the crew would also fit into that. Yeah. But the crew is kind of still early 2000s edgy in a lot of ways for me. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in the narrative that was tied to it. Yeah, but then you have the other side that's made of modern motorsports. Gran Turismo. Like Project Cars, Gran Turismo. It, it kind of seems like there's been some... I don't know if they're indie games or just smaller developers, but you, you've seen like Project Cars and uh, that sort of thing kind of come up as well. But those have like more of a focus on the physics even. Yeah. There is still certainly a market for that high-precision racing sim, but there is clearly, as we've seen with Forza Horizon 5, a much, much bigger market for this arcade racer that just has the bones of that kind of precision racing. We'll get into it a little bit later, but the launch of this game has been astronomical, like bigger than literally anyone was anticipating. And I think it's because most people kind of wandered into this series over the last several years, and this was the first one where everybody was kind of on board for day one of like, I'm getting into this now. <laughs> Let's talk about that driving. Jackson, you're the newbie here. How does Forza Horizon 5 just feel to play? I'm very bad at this game. Like, real bad. But... And in case anyone's wondering, he's not exaggerating. Even with how bad I am at this game, it's still really fun. I like driving around in cars that look cool even if I'm constantly crashing them into walls or into lakes. And realistically, this game's at its most fun when you're crashing into cars and or crashing into walls and lakes. <laughs> this is, uh, you know, the only racing game out there that I know of that gives you points for crashing into <laughs> walls. Amen. If you're the type of person like myself who doesn't crash into walls, that driving still feels real good. Like, literally from the minute you start this game, which involves parachuting out of the back of a plane in a, in a Ford Bronco. So, like, really strong start. Onto a volcano. Onto a volcano. 
the minute that your car touches the ground, the handling on all the cars just feels right. And that sort of, I think, above all the craziness of these games, that's the one thing that I think has cemented the Forza Horizon series as being like the racing games. Because even if you take away all the flashy stuff, it still just is the best feeling racing game out there. Not the most realistic, but the best. <laughs> Ever since, like, especially, I would say, Forza Horizon 3, they've really been going hard at making the driving, I don't want to say realistic, but it's definitely very dynamic. The game works hard to kind of factor everything in, from the size and shape of your car to the different uh, engine types and tire types, the different tread widths. Everything factors into how you're driving in every race and what you're driving on to such like a really wild scale, especially when you compare it to things like Need for Speed, where you generally only have two modes of driving. You know, you're either on the road or you're in the dirt. (laughs) This game actually goes, you know, it goes a, a step further than that. Several steps further even to, it feels different if you're driving on dirt on one side of the the map versus the other side of the map, whether you're driving on, you know, asphalt or sand. And I get that that's a really wide margin, but there's definitely a lot of care to detail and you can feel it. And not only is that distinction very clearly there, it always feels natural. Like it only takes a couple seconds of being on a new surface to sort of come to grips with like how that's going to affect your turning and, and sort of understand how your car is going to to look and feel different based on the environment you're in now speaking of there is a ton of diversity in settings in this game in my opinion other than maybe horizon 3's australia i think this is just the outright best looking map in the series and it's definitely the best just to drive on because all of the different environments work really well together and they feel very genuine. And the transitions are sometimes harsh, like especially in cross-country racing, but you always feel them. Like they're always there and they're very present (laughs) and they do inform a lot about the racing. Yeah, I would say that this game goes even a step further than Forza Horizon 3's Australia to kind of give you wide variants (laughs) of biomes. Because you have things like jungle, you have the city portion of the map, you have beaches, multiple beaches, in fact. I think there's a beach on either side of the map. There are forests that you can drive through, deserts. Nothing's really left out, and it's all really beautiful. It flows together well. It's not just these hard stops of like, this is the city, now this is the country, now this is the desert. There's like you know, half a mile stretch in between each of those where you're starting to see changes. And it's it's always gradual, which always makes the racing between those segments feel even better. But it's not just mechanics either. The way that this map looks and the way the cars look on it is phenomenal. And that's even coming from three people who didn't have the chance to play this game on the Series X. On a mid-range PC, which my PC is very mid-range, this game still looks phenomenal. I think even, I was playing it yeah. on Ultra, there was still a good bit of pop-in issues, but other than that, this is a very good looking game. Definitely takes advantage of uh, new technologies like ray tracing to kind of show you things that you didn't think would be possible on a, a mid-range PC. Yeah, which I will say, Playground Games has always knocked it out of the park with that. 
I've played the last two Forza Horizons, at least at least enough to try them out on my PC, and it's always ran them exceptionally, better than I have, and I anticipated, which is wild considering there are certain other modern releases my PC can't even start. For me, Horizon 5 ran just about as well as Horizon 4, and it looks noticeably better. Yeah. A little bit worse of a frame rate, because I'm still rocking the 1060. Uh, definitely, I didn't run into any pop-in issues when I was playing on medium. I occasionally had really long load times, but once I was actually loaded in, everything always looked incredible. And especially, like, the reflections, <laughs> the attention to detail in all the cars. Just an incredible looking game. Very positive about how Forza Horizon looks, especially... I think we've, we've pretty well established that this game looks and plays really, really good. One thing that I think will be a little bit alienating for some is the sort of progression hooks in the game because they're they're finicky, I guess is a way to put it. And I'll, I'll try and explain this as succinctly as possible, but I'll admit it's, it's a lot. Basically, any given time you're out there driving, you're getting XP towards three things. One is this totally superficial bar that fills up from doing tricks and stunts and just driving in wild ways. And all that does is upgrades things for individual cars, but most of the time they're just feeding back into upgrading that same bar more. <laughs> so that's kind of nothing. And then you have an account level, which is separate, and the account level, it doesn't really impact the game. It's more just like a badge that shows, like, I've played X amount of this game. But every time you level up, you get to spin a wheel, which can net you anything from large sums of cash to very expensive cars to a pair of shorts so shorts. like that one's kind of hit or miss <laughs> and then the one that actually matters though is a third experience bar which every time you finish a race you get some xp which you use to upgrade your horizon festival and every time you level up you get to either pick a new site to add to the map or you get to add new races to an existing one and all of that stuff is a little more convoluted than it needs to be. Like, it, it makes sense, and, like, it does click together fairly well, but it's certainly not as fluid as it probably should be, in my opinion. Yeah, going to the third bar that you mentioned, the way that it goes up is as you do different races and different challenges around the map, you get something called an accolade. And there's a whole list of like different accolades for different the, the different sub festivals as part of the Horizon Festival on the map. So that's things like you have a, a street racing festival, a, a Baja racing festival, a, a cross country festival. And all of those things have their own accolades, as they're called, that is just like go this fast through this danger sign or something like that or... <laughs> you know, complete this race in this car, or even some of them are just complete this race and get this standing. That's the big thing. And I, I think that that's pretty interesting, and it definitely gives you a lot to work towards. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. I really like progression loops that show you, like, what you need to do and kind of lays out a clear path. Yeah, and realistically, you can sort of get to the quote-unquote end of this game fairly quickly and from a lot of different angles. But it all sort of circles back to just get out and drive this car in wild ways. It it always feels like it just wants you to get out and experience the game, which is very, very cool. Yeah, and I don't know if we've actually said it. Anybody that's familiar with the series will know 
the the Forza Horizon games are open world. Like there's this whole giant map of Mexico in this game that you can explore. And as you're driving around, there are things like danger signs where it'll just basically be like, you need to do this cool stunt here. And you'll get a rating at the end of it out of three stars, like based on how fast you were going or if you did a jump, how long you stayed in the air, or how far you flew. Uh, as well as things like uh, speed traps or speed zones, where, you know, speed trap is just you need to be going as fast as you can when you pass this camera. And then a speed zone is more, there are two sets of cameras, and you need to get between them as quickly as possible while staying on the road. I don't know if that was a requirement in previous games. I don't remember it being a requirement. This game is very specific that you stay on the road when you're doing those speed zones. <laughs> yeah. This game's a little more particular in general about how you do certain things vis-a-vis the track you're on. Because <laughs> some races you can go literally wherever you want, and others you have a ton of checkpoints you have to stay right on top of. But, I mean, I think it flows together well. Like, having some of each is, is generally for the best. Yeah, speaking of, I think Forza Horizon 3 kind of manages to be... <laughs> not not three. I just mean to say Forza Horizon in general. Uh, but I, I think Forza Horizon really manages to be the perfect middle ground between like closed track racing and like entirely open world racing. Yeah, for sure. Where you know all of the races that you do in the game are places that you can normally drive around in the open world, and then on top of that, uh, especially when you're doing things like the cross country races, they'll generally have pretty wide routes i mean obviously there is like one fixed route of checkpoints that you have to go through but sometimes those checkpoints will be really far apart or there will be there'll be very wide checkpoints so you don't really have to worry too much about staying onto one particular stretch of road uh and then if you're doing something like street racing it's a lot closer to that closed track racing that you might be familiar with if you played uh forts motorsports instead of Forza Horizon. And I I think Horizon just kind of manages to have a really good middle ground with most of its racing types, and then if you really like close track racing, you have that street racing, or if you really don't like close track racing, you have cross country. To put it simply, a little something for everyone. (laughs) I think that for most of us that have played previous Forza Horizon games, the sort of most memorable moments were always the event races where you're racing planes or trains, I would say, or automobiles, but that's literally the rest of them. And planes, trains, or hovercraft. Yeah. Yeah. Or dirt bikes. Or uh, there was one where I think it was like a, a guy that was on a bike and then it turned into a wingsuit. And. <laughs> Like, there's these crazy event races where you are doing things you would never do in another racing game. And I think that those were always the standout moments. The ones that really hit home as being like, okay, this is cool. Like, this is what this, is what this series is. And this game, I think, doesn't have as many of those moments. But it has a lot more of these other things things that are comparable and very very cool like uh one of my favorite events from this game so far was it was in like multiple parts but you uh you have to drive through a parade in a parade float and at first you're just like 
driving slow, checking out the sights. There's some fireworks. It's really just like a, it's a visual show. You're not really doing much competitive driving. But once you get to the end of it and the parade is over, they're just like, well, okay, now let's go drive this parade float off a cliff and see what happens. And suddenly you're driving this parade float at 100 miles an hour up a mountain and just launching it off the side. And that was just such a cool thing that you would never do in those precision racers of the past or those super edgy, ridiculous racers from the early 2000s. Like, this game is very much its own thing, and, and it sets up some cool, cool stuff. Did y'all have any really specific moments or events or anything really cool like that that you've done so far? To me, this feels like the closest you can really get to Forza spoilers. So I don't necessarily want to get too much into the stuff from Forza Horizon 5. But I definitely have really fond memories playing, like, 3 had this whole section of events that were all themed around Top Gear. And, like, one of the challenges... The idea behind it was that you were the Stig. And one of the challenges was just, alright, we have this souped up... I think it was was either a lawnmower or a tractor. (laughs) And you were just driving that around for a race instead of like a normal car. And then once you finished it, you were able to drive that thing around wherever you wanted. And I just remember thinking at the time that that was like so ridiculous and crazy and fun. In terms of like event races, the one that always comes to mind for me is the one in Forza Horizon 4, where you're racing against a like some kind of hovercraft. And the whole time you're just driving your car. And the event races are generally a lot closer to just like standard closed track races. So you're, you're driving like a normal car and you're stuck in this normal, uh, it's like an off-road race for the most part. But then occasionally you'll see your opponent is just in this giant hovercraft. And where, whereas you're stuck between the walls, sometimes the hovercraft will just like completely demolish walls and buildings as it's going, like trying to beat you in this race. And it obviously, since it's a hovercraft, like it can't take turns very sharply, but it can go real fast. <laughs> And I I don't know really what it is about that, but that one's always the event race that stuck out the most to me is just being, like, absolutely wild. I haven't done all the event races in Forza Horizon 5, and I'm really hoping that there's something that'll manage to kind of one-up that experience. Uh, I, I don't know. I haven't really had any, like, special moments like that yet, and I haven't played previous Forza games to talk about those. <laughs> I mean, what did you think of just the, you know, the intro is pretty wild. Where you're starting out in all these really cool cars, jumping out of airplanes and racing dirt bikers. Yeah, I guess I can talk about I can talk about that. The intro is a very nice start to the game because, like, first you fall out of a plane with a Ford Bronco on top of a volcano, and you go down that, you know, through the desert some. Then it switches over to a. Uh, I think I think that's when you switch over to a Corvette. You're doing a little bit of street racing with some like. Random cars that'll come out of nowhere here and there. Then you switch over to a like an off-road Subaru, and you race against bikers just like through the forest and through some lakes. And then you switch over to the like the box art car, which is a Mercedes AMG One, I believe. You race that. Well, you race in that, uh, and that's like that's the intro mission, which I think is you know pretty good way to start off. The You're game. not even gonna mention. Uh, what happens with the dirt bikes about halfway through the race? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The dirt bikers—they just like, they just like jump off. Yeah, one does a backflip off of a cliff, and then the bike just goes falling, and then he suddenly goes flying past you in a wingsuit. Yeah, 
pretty cool stuff. Yeah, they're definitely like heavily scripted events, but they're some of the most fun and memorable things in the Forza Horizon games. I don't think I've played another racing game that had quite as many memorable events as that. I, I mean, like I've played a lot of Need for Speed, and I think the the thing I remember most fondly from any of those games is just hitting all the columns and knocking down the giant donut that would crush the car, the cop cars in Most Wanted. Well, let's talk about something about the game that wasn't so exciting. We uh, we tried to sit down and do some multiplayer before we started recording today. And once we got the ball rolling, it was it was fine. I mean, it plays just like single player, but they've readjusted sort of the parameters for what winning a race looks like, which is kind of a cool concept. Um, the actual multiplayer experience, though is rough <laughs> uh we had a yep. lot of problems getting all connected and in the same place at the same time and i don't actually think that we ran into any issues i think we're just stupid that's also a good possibility it did take us a while to completely come to terms with what we were seeing on the screen <laughs> if you join uh, a multiplayer group in forza horizon it's called the convoy it looks like sometimes players are loading You know, if you see a circle spinning next to someone's name, you assume that the reason that circle is spinning is because something is loading. But as it turns out, we're fairly certain that the circle spins unless they're close to you on the map. So you really have no clue if you're in the same session. But if you are in the same session and you're just in the wrong part of the map, it's going to look like you're not playing multiplayer together. I don't, I don't know. I think that part just kind of needs a little bit more explaining. And maybe they did explain it, but I mean, I can't be expected to read all those text boxes. There genuinely weren't many, though, to really get into how all of this worked. Now, that being said, the way that the actual races work is interesting. Essentially, instead of this now being just a, if you get first place, you win, it's now the collective places of your drivers together has to add up past a certain score. And so, like, if, you, if you're if you one of, like, three racers like we were, you get, like, 100 points for every NPC you beat in a race. And essentially, we just have to have more points than the enemy team, which gets points just by however they place without comparison to us. It's, it's an interesting idea that keeps co-op in it, but still lets it be just a racing game, which I thought was kind of, like, was a pretty smart way to handle it. For some reason, even if you're doing multiplayer, it keeps the rewind function, which at first I thought was, you know, interesting, because if you screwed up, you'd still be able to fix it. Then I realized that, obviously, if you use the rewind function, it's only going to rewind. So if you use it, you're going to lose, 100%. Yep. If you use rewind in a multiplayer a multiplayer race, you have absolutely no chance of winning that race. And also, when you're in multiplayer, it freezes a lot more often than it does in single player. It's never been, like, that big of an issue, but Rewind has frozen. I I remember running into it freezing in just about every Forza Horizon game uh, since the first one. I, you know, (laughs) and it's especially noticeable when all of the other racers in the game are still going top speed, and I am frozen. Let's actually kind of hone in on that rewind thing for a minute because there's a lot of discussion with modern games about what do we do with difficulty what do we do with accessibility and forza sort of completely dodges that whole conversation by giving you every single option possible for every single thing like 
the depths that they go to to this game to make this an experience that can be that can be adjusted to your preference is insane. This game can be as realistic as possible, all of the most precise driving mechanics possible, everything as 100% real as it as it can be, or you can completely automate everything about this game where all you have to do is hold the gas and turn left and right. It does the braking, it keeps you on the track, it even like I think there's even a way it does the accelerating for you. So literally all you're doing is moving left to right. This game can do it all. And there's dozens of difficulty options within that that impact not only the difficulty of the people you're driving against, but the complexity of how your of how your car reacts to the course, how different outside factors can impact the race, like how weather and just sort of debris, I guess you could say, can impact your car. You can adjust so much stuff in this game. It's wild. Yeah. You can turn off the ABS on your brakes. And just die. <laughs> <laughs> this is just such a weird option in my mind. I, I think the game does a good job to kind of make sure that it's playable by anyone. I don't really know how much there is to say about that. I think that where it starts out with the default difficulty is a little bit too easy, but I mean, obviously I've played a fair amount of racing games, and I'm sure Jordan prefers the game to be a little bit more difficult than I do, but yeah. Jackson, on the other hand, I mean... Yeah, I just want to say, the, so the standard difficulty is average, and that's what I had it set to, and me, being the terrible driver that I am, was winning every single race that was against, you know, like, NPCs. I think the best way to mess with the difficulty, honestly, is to avoid the presets and just kind of tweak things to however feels comfortable for you, you know, because you can tweak the stuff on your car if you think that, you know, if the issues you're running into is, oh, I'm having trouble on these turns, uh, I would probably be, I'd probably have a bigger advantage if maybe the car just handled these really tight drifts for me. Uh, on the other hand, you might prefer to have more control of your car, and you just want more or less a one-to-one. When I tell the car to brake, I want it to brake, and I want it to brake as hard as I'm pressing down the trigger, and I think it's really neat that it has those options. Uh, but I do think the presets, there's too big of a... This feels like a dumb thing to complain about, but there, there is definitely too wide of a margin between the different preset difficulties. Uh, I, I, I don't feel like they're really... I think they could do with some equalization because the jump from uh, average to above average is not very hard. It, it's not like a huge uh, change in difficulty. But if you jump from above average to the difficulty above that, suddenly it is significantly harder. It, it's not as gradual as I'd like for it to be, but just the depth of options, I think, is is really solid and a really good move by Playground. And sort of the reason that I think this is... Like, like, if I were to recommend any any racing game to anyone, pretty much regardless of their taste, this is the one I'm going to recommend. Because it it's whatever you want it to be in the best possible way. Definitely agree with that. Well, it's a lot of Fords to talk. But. No. Not but. So, let's wrap it all up. Jackson, what are your final thoughts? I like this game. Cool. Moving on. <laughs> I don't really know what all to say about this because it's kind of my first, you know, experience with racing games. I don't know. Like, I mean, I like I like it. It's fun. But my favorite part is just getting cool cars. If you like cars, this is the game for you. When you say cars, do you mean like the actual things or the movie? Both. I sorry, feel like sorry. We should really differentiate. People may not, you know, 
If they like the movie but not the actual things, they may not like this. Sorry, you're 100% right. If you like Cars, Cars 3 Driven to Win is the game for you. If you like automobiles, then Forza Horizon pretty much has you covered. It's got an absolutely huge selection of cars. I think it's over 520? That's a lot. I might be I might be I'm wrong. I'm not going to take the time to count yeah. them. So if you've seen a number somewhere, I'm just going to trust I'll take the time to Google I'm going to count them. One, two, three. I do. My only complaint so far is that Forza Horizon 3 and 4 had a bunch of fake cars. And the only fake cars that they've kept for this one are the Bone Shaker from Hot Wheels <laughs> and the Warthog from Halo. Really sucks that the only Hot Wheels car is the Bone Shaker, though. I want the roller toaster. <laughs> I just want to drive the Regalia from Final Fantasy 15. I thought that that was a lot of fun to drive in, uh, in Forza Horizon. So I'm just going to keep my fingers crossed for the uh, Final Fantasy 15 crossover event with uh, Forza Horizon 5. I know Final Fantasy 15 came out six years ago, but I think we got it this time. That said, I really enjoyed this game. I'm definitely going to keep playing it. I actually managed to get my hands on a Xbox Series X, so I'll probably, you know, mention how that's made. (laughs) I'll bring it up next week and say whether or not that that had any kind of profound effect on my opinions on the game. Luckily, these games have like a pretty cool cross-save system, so I don't have to worry about completely starting over the game. Anybody out there that's waiting for a Series X to pick up this game... You can play it on Game Pass, and if you enjoy it there, then you'll probably also enjoy it on the Series X when you get one. That said, good game. Uh, Anybody that enjoys racing games, I think will enjoy this game, unless the thing you enjoy in racing games is soft body physics, uh, in which case there's only really one racing game for you anyways. Uh, (laughs) And if, if you haven't played racing games before, I think this is a good place to start. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's got a little bit of everything. It's got any car you can imagine, unless you're imagining that car, and that one's not in it, actually. And I think that just about covers all the cars in the game. Let's just put it this way. If you pull up a list of all the cars in this game, and you think of a car, and that car is also on the list, it's in there. (laughs) Simple as that. Dang. I didn't know there's only 504 cars. Jordan... I think that the best way to put this is that this year has been sort of... There have been some really genuinely... This year has been rough on all of us. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This year, there have been some genuinely surprising games out there. And most of them were even better than I ever anticipated. You know, your Metroid Dreads, your Ratchet and Clanks. Like, for the most part... This this year has had some games I wasn't anticipating, but I or that I didn't really expect to actually get, and then were much better than I expected them to be. With Forza Horizon Five, I went in knowing like this is going to be a very good game. This stuff is like clockwork, but actually good, and it is delivered on everything I was hoping it would. It's the same core concept that I love about the series. It's been expanded out in terms of scope and scale, and it just it everything about it's an improvement in a very very strong way. And I I think if I were to ever recommend a racing game to anyone, like I said, it'd be this one. And specifically, if I were to recommend a racing game to someone who doesn't play a lot of racing games, this is the one to go with. So I I don't know really any better praise than just to say like this is a, probably the best racing game there is. So like. 
play it, <laughs> especially since it's on Xbox Game Pass. So if you have an Xbox or a PC, you can play this game as much as you want for only $10 a month. So, like, get on that. <laughs> now that I think about it, though, I do have to say this is only the third best Forza Horizon series game. The first best one is Forza Horizon 3 because it had a Hot Wheels expansion. And that Hot Wheels expansion was significantly better than the Hot Wheels game that we got earlier this year. And the second best game is Forza Horizon 4, because it had a Lego expansion. And I don't even think I need to get into why that's awesome. Uh, I'm really hoping that they'll manage to one-up. You know, I I don't really know how you one-up Hot Wheels or Lego when it comes to making a racing game expansion, but I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Well, that's a lot of Forza talk. We got a lot of other stuff we got it got to get into. So we're gonna take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with all the headlines. Well, it's time to talk about Forza Horizon Five, and how it is officially the biggest launch in Xbox history, with over 10 million players in its first weekend. So, even as a game that was released for free on Game Pass. That's still some pretty dang impressive numbers. Biggest launch week in Xbox history. That's pretty wild when you consider all of the huge games that Xbox has put out over the years. Especially if you consider like the 360 era, where everyone had a 360. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And like there are a lot of factors for this. And that I guess on paper make this less impressive. Like the fact that all Xbox games are now also on PC and the Game Pass stuff. And just the fact that realistically there haven't been a lot of xbox first party games for it to compare to lately but that's still like a huge huge ramp up from the previous releases in the series which were also xbox game pass games i mean this game had three times as many concurrent players by this point uh or that forza horizon 4 had by this point so i mean like this one's still pretty huge and I think part of that is the fact that almost everyone that I know that has played the Forza Horizon games have really been into them, but almost no one started with the first one. Like, most people that I've spoken to started with two or three or even four, and so now that fan base is or five. much, much bigger. Yeah, I, I know we both started with the first one, because I think you had it on Xbox, and then... Around the time the second one came out, I think you brought the first one over to my house. <laughs> yeah, something like that. So my first game was the first one, but I don't think I played it until after the second one came out. But definitely, it had an impact on me. I mean, I've stuck with it. I've bought every other game since then. I don't think I ever really bought two. I mean, three, four, and now five, I've bought and spent a significant amount of time in. And I've definitely gone out of my way to introduce my friends to it, which I think is pretty unique. Yeah. I can't think of many games I've played that I've actually, like, told other people about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I totally get that. Because, like, I've, <laughs> I've had conversations with other people that I know, you know, play video games, but not necessarily this kind of thing, and have still at multiple times said, like, you should really check out this game. Like, it's it's really something special. And, and it is. And I think people see that now. <laughs> I think part of that's just because it's a lot easier to... It's a lot easier to explain a racing game to people. Yeah, for sure. They're just like, you can drive, you can point at a car, you know, you're in a parking lot talking to your friends like you do. You point at a random car and you say, you can drive that car. And they're like, why would I want to? You're pointing at a 1991 Bronco. 
and I'll be like, I don't even know if there's a Bronco <laughs> from that year. That's not really important. The big thing is that you can drive it, uh, and then, bam, three new fans. <laughs> Do you guys think that Halo's official launch will top it, just in terms of sheer number of players? I mean, I, I have mean, to say yes. PvP shooters are far more more popular than racing games. I so. think what's actually going to hurt Halo is how they're releasing it. Because you essentially have just the PvP launching now, and then you have what will essentially be just the campaign launching later, and then you have Forge and Co-op launching after that. I think if all that were launching on the same day, I think for sure it would beat this. But I don't think it's ever going to quite get there because it's going to be staggered like that. It certainly won't have this massive of an opening just for the campaign. Oh, yeah. Maybe if I could look at the the Master Chief collection numbers, it would be a lot easier to say. But I definitely know no one was talking about Forza Horizon 5, you know, that much before it released. Yeah. And it's the biggest launch of all time or whatever. Yeah. The biggest launch in Xbox history. People are talking about Halo. Yeah. People have been talking about Halo. Sure, I mean, sure. It, look at the, the hype from Halo 3. And I, I think Halo Infinite's kind of not necessarily reaching those levels, but I also think a lot more people have played Halo by this point. Yeah, and even if you didn't love the series in the past, if you've played at least one of them, you're probably at least going to give it a shot, you know, since it's on Game Pass. I, I saw that they made it to where you can, uh, if you if you right-click or if you try to aim down the sights when you're using the, the normal assault rifle, it slightly zooms in. That's actually been in the game since 5. Well, actually, Halo 5 is my favorite Halo game. Wow, you're the only one. <laughs> That's just such like a weird quality of life decision. I, I never understood why in all the other games it brought up your binoculars for some reason. Yeah, yeah I like it. You like the binoculars? No, I, I like I like the, the semi-ADSing thing. Whatever you say, kid. <laughs> but uh, the thing that we're going to use from this podcast when we're putting out you know all of our cool, our cool press packets or whatever, it's going to say, I like binoculars. Jackson walk up. <laughs> so big things happening over at Xbox. Speaking of things less popular than binoculars. <laughs> okay. You've probably heard us say that the GTA, tri- sorry, let me, uh, the full title. The Grand Theft Auto, the trilogy, the definitive edition is, uh, having a rough go at it so far. <laughs> On account of the being very bad. Before we get into this, I do want to say Binoculars actually had a much better launch than Grand Theft Auto, the trilogy, the definitive edition. No one ever had issues where their binoculars would show, you know, like two textures overlapping. <laughs> and if it did, that was intentional because of how binoculars work. Jordan, why don't you tell us a little bit more about this big news from Rockstar Games? So everybody's known for several weeks now that we've had these remasters on the horizon everybody was real excited people have been asking for specifically by city and san andreas remakes for years and years leading up to their release rockstar delisted the original versions of the games from most digital marketplaces at the time most people were thinking like well that's kind of crappy of them taking out the cheaper options but the game launched and was garbage runs poorly looks very bad introduces a slew of new bugs that some of which are totally game breaking like these are just very very bad ports and 
they no longer <laughs> left players with the option to buy the originals. So clearly, they knew this was going to be bad. They were just covering for it. Well, Rockstar, after receiving tons and tons of horrible reviews, tons of bashing them on social media, probably some death threats that weren't really warranted, but it's all there. They have decided to take a step back. They're going to relist the original releases for Grand Theft Auto 3, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, and Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. They're going to give a free copy of those games to everyone who bought Grand Theft Auto The Trilogy, The Definitive Edition. And they are still going to be working to fix Grand Theft Auto The Trilogy, The Definitive Edition the entire the entire way through. So, still a really rough launch. Can you, uh, can you say the name of this game one more time? Yeah, Grand Theft Auto The Trilogy, The Definitive Edition. <laughs> Oh, okay. I'm cutting out a couple syllables every time, and it's always different ones. (laughs) I mean, like you mentioned, they are still committed to fixing it. As of today, uh, today being the 20th of November, they released uh, the first big patch for it. And supposedly it has a lot of big performance increases, but obviously for a launch as bad as this, it's going to take a lot more than a single patch. (laughs) So... This story will keep you update. We'll keep you updated as it develops. What what really confuses me about all of this is Rockstar knew this game was going to be what it was. There's no way they didn't. There's no way a single tester sat down and didn't complain about everything about this game. But they still released it. And it's one thing if you're tracking to a very specific street date and you need it to turn a profit. But this game was only revealed about a month before it released. They had to have known a month before its release that this game was going to be garbage. And I don't get how they thought this was a good idea. I think that these companies just don't realize like how much of a hit it's going to hit it's going to make on their goodwill. That's a sentence. I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, I think it's the same reason that you know, cyberpunk, they made so many promises and stuff like that, even close to release when they knew that they were never going to be able to meet all of those promises. You don't think that it's going to be as big a deal as it is. And then people are really upset, but you know what? If I had to guess whenever they get this fixed or whenever the next rockstar game comes out, it's going to have the same kind of response that it would have had if this didn't happen. So. Yeah. I guess that's true. People are going to buy these Maybe fewer pre-orders. Yeah. But honestly, anybody that's going to pre-order a game, anybody that's going to stop pre-ordering games would have done it by yeah. now. It's. I don't think this is going to be the thing that changes anybody's mind on pre-ordering. So I, I don't actually think this is going to have any effect on Rockstar at all after, you know, no. the next few months when they're, when they're still fixing it. Every time a patch comes out, people are going to talk about how bad this game is and how bad the launch was, but nobody's actually going to care when the next new game comes out. Oh, yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. I just I just don't understand how they thought this was the most profitable option for this game. Like, this is just... They still made all the money. I guess. But they've had very, very few sales post-launch. And I think it's actually been delisted on certain marketplaces. So that's something. It's like cyberpunk all over yeah. again. <laughs> well... It's time to say goodbye to Rockstar and say hello, Infinite. Hey, I, I wrote that. I got it in there. I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> that was the joke I came up with. I said, hello, Infinite. It's like Halo Infinite, but he- hello, because they 
They made a big surprise multiplayer drop to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Xbox. By surprise, he means uh, totally not speculated on Twitter for the past week before that. It's a surprise in that they didn't say that they were going to do it, and then they did. You know, it's like if somebody tells you that you're going to have a surprise. It's like it's like when someone tells you they're not going to be in Spider-Man, and then they are going to be in Spider-Man. It's like a surprise birthday party. You know you're going to have a birthday that day. The party is the surprise. <laughs> so in this case, it was that they they knew it was going to be the 20th anniversary of Halo. Right. And the, the surprise release. Part, and the party is the release. Yes, that's exactly it. You got it. Now, what is what is interesting? Is I would I would totally like them dropping a beta on that date isn't surprising in the slightest. The fact that this just is the full multiplayer that was surprising. Like this this is yeah. I mean there there will certainly be things added between now and launch, and there will certainly be content after launch, and some much needed challenge changes. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that this is all the maps, all the gameplay modes, all the guns, like everything at like now that's that's surprising. That especially considering. You know, we're about three weeks out from the official launch of Halo Infinite in its in its entirety, and you know that this launched the fifteenth. So I mean, that's that's basically an extra three weeks of dev time that was given up because of that. And of course, the devs are still working on this game. Like I said, changes will be coming, but it's it's pretty wild to see something launched like this, even if it had sort of been alluded to and rumored yeah i mean that's kind of the thing with these like surprise drop betas i don't think physical copies are out yet so no but since the game is launching on december 8th i imagine the physical copies have already been sent to print sure sure so like the development cycle other than just making updates is already over like they've already made all the map they've already made all the multiplayer modes and all the at least the cosmetics that are going to be part of the base game. Like, all that stuff is already finished. Anytime that someone does, like, a beta less than, let's say, three months before a game actually launches, it's not really a beta. It's really just them being like, here, if you want to play it early, you can pay us extra money. In this case, I think it's more just a goodwill thing. They're just like, well, we promised this game to you a year ago for one. Why not release it a few months earlier than our you know, pushed back release date. It's good stuff, though. Everything's done anyways. If you like Halo, I haven't played it yet. Uh, I've played a good If you don't like Halo, I've played several hours. <laughs> but for all the good news from Halo Infinite, there is always the bad. Halo Infinite's co-op campaign and Forge have officially been delayed until at least May of 2022. Now, we already knew that... This game was going to be sort of released piecemeal. We were not going to be getting the whole package on day one. Um, but it turns out that there's going to be an even bigger divide than we had previously anticipated. And overall, I personally don't think this is going to hurt the game too much in terms of number of players or critical reception or anything like that. But I think it will hurt a lot of us in terms of the most fun I have with the Halo games is the co-op campaign. By far. Even if I don't always love the campaigns themselves, it's always a good time in co-op out there running and gunning and sometimes blowing each other up type situations. The only Halo campaign I've ever played in single player was ODST. 
And honestly, that one just makes sense. No, that was just because I didn't have any friends who had Halo ODST at the time. Ah. But believe me, if I did, I would have been playing it multiplayer. (laughs) I think Halo ODST just makes the most sense to play alone, though, since the whole point's just one ODST stranded in a city looking for his team. You do realize that Master Chief doesn't have a team at all in in most games. Yeah, okay, yeah, I guess just an outside lore he does. Outside lore and Halo 5, because at some point they were like, what if the books mattered? I, I would say Halo 1 and 2, now those are the ones that make the most sense to play single player. Because why is there a second Master Chief? <laughs> no, in, that in does Halo, make sense. In Halo 2's case, <laughs> why is there a second The Arbiter? Halo 3 is just always even The Arbiter. Actually, by this, Halo 5 actually makes the most sense to play with three other people. Big news in the world of ugly people. <laughs> Gosh. Right for the jugular. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. We don't have to use it. We can change it. It No, no, it's staying. Mr. Paul Rudd, who you likely know from hit movies like Clueless and the last two seasons of Friends. That's my favorite movie. Has officially been named People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive. And And you know what that means. Very little. Look, I don't care what you guys have to say. It makes sense. Does it? Yes. I think, you know, it's weird that they call it Sexiest Man Alive. Um, but then they do it every year. <laughs> they kill They kill the previous winners right before the next person is selected every time. They could just leave it. It could just be one person, and then the, when that person dies, we pick a yeah. new one. That's why I'm thinking that they should rebrand it as People Magazine's Sexiest Man Who Has Ever or Will Ever Live. Because <laughs> that way, it's one <laughs> definitive answer, and it's probably some guy that died like 400 years ago. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to look through the list and see who's been voted Sexiest Man Alive that's still alive. I mean, most of them are still oh, alive. Idris Elba, 2018. <laughs> They're all. Yeah, it's well, only started. It's only been going back since '85. I mean, Mel Gibson was the first one, so it's not like this is an ancient process. <laughs> well, I think he's kind of aged out. Of yeah, it, yeah. Right. I think that's fair. Um, he is still alive, but he's no longer the sexiest man. What I really love is looking back on this list and seeing where the very clear shift in America's perception of what sexy is happened. Because some of these, I mean, they make sense when you think about it. I mean, you got your Denzel Washingtons, your George Clooney's. You talking 2002 when Ben Affleck won? I'm talking... (laughs) I'm talking 1992 when Nick Nolte won. This... Like, no offense to the guy. It's not that he's, like, ugly. He's just one of the weirdest-looking people I've ever seen. I mean, I know there's not there's not an unoffensive way to say that, but, like... like I, I think 2000, uh, when Brad Pitt won, was a major turning point. But then Pierce Brosnan won the next year, and he fit more into the pre-2000 Sexiest Man Alive list. true. It's true. There's a lot of contention. Uh, but then Ben Affleck won, and then ever since then, it's been people that have that same kind of look and George Clooney. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was also really disappointed looking at this list to find out you can get you can win this multiple times. Richard Gere, 
Brad Pitt, Matthew McConaughey, Johnny Depp. They have all won it multiple times. Yeah. Think about that for a minute, America. Johnny Depp was voted the sexiest man alive twice. You sick freaks. (laughs) (sighs) I don't know why, but I always really love the sexiest man alive thing. (laughs) I love it because every time it feels a little bit wrong in a new way. I think this this is the big year where I think most people can agree. Paul Rudd isn't sexy. <laughs> yeah. Now. Like, you can make arguments for most of the previous winners. But except like, Blake Shelton. But, like, not Paul Rudd. <laughs> that being said, I think, like, of everyone on this list, he's the one I would most want to meet. <laughs> but that's still, he's not. Like, the last three years were Michael B. Jordan, John Legend, and Idris Elba. He doesn't look like them, and not just in the is a generic white guy way. <laughs> Don't ever change people magazines. <laughs> I just feel bad for next year when they kill Paul Rudd. You, you hate to see it. Well, we've talked driving. We've talked Grand Theft Autoing. We've talked The Sexiest Man Alive. So I think that leaves us only it's time to pull the plug. Jackson. What's something else you've been into? I'm going to talk about something that we have not talked about at all in this episode. Halo Infinite. I have, of course, been playing it since the beta came out because I love Halo. But this is really the first time that I've been really into the multiplayer. I've always been a campaign person. I have to say, this is this is pretty good. <laughs> I don't want to get too into it because I'm going to do a TB mini uh, probably next week on it. But I just want to say it's pretty fun. It's got some progression issues that are garbage, but those are being fixed. So, yeah. But anyways, Jason, what have you been doing? What you've been doing? Well, what you did? Skyrim Anniversary Edition came out, and I've, I've been giving that a good shake, you know? It's been fun exploring the world of Skyrim once again. I've been there many a time. I've spent several hours there, and this time is uh, it's no different in that I'm spending several hours there. Decided to play on survival mode, and uh, I like it a lot more than Fallout 4 survival mode because it doesn't directly tie difficulty into it. It just adds things like, you know, hunger, and you need to stay warm. And that's what I want out of a survival mode. Something that forces me to sleep in a bed for some reason. You know, you never think about it when you're playing video games, but your characters, they do have to go to sleep. That's why you gotta turn the game off. (laughs) You got it. You know, a lot of the new content that's kind of been built in is buried in there quite a bit. Uh, For example, there's a new, I think it's called like Hands of the Tribunal expansion that they've added as it was like Creation Club content, but now it's, you know, just part of, they included all the Creation Club content as part of the anniversary edition. I think it's new though. I don't know. It was kind of confusing. But anyway, like, if you want to do that stuff, you have to get to Solsheim, which is part of the Dragonborn expansion, which, that stuff's scary. I've never done it before. <laughs> I, I've i played Skyrim several times. I've beaten it, you know, most, I've, I've beaten it once, like, last year, but I've played, like, probably several hundred hours. Still have not played the Dragonborn DLC yet. This kind of seems like it's going to be more or less the definitive edition of Skyrim. I mean... More content than ever before. It's adding things like fishing. It's, it's fine. 
all these games, it's like fishing needs to be part of RPGs these days, but like, does anyone really enjoy fishing in RPGs? Hey, do you enjoy fishing in Animal Crossing? No. Oh. Okay, that entirely defeats the point of my argument, so... uh... (laughs) Tales of Arise is a pretty good fishing minigame. Fishing was one of the few things that Far Cry 6 did well. I forgot that Far Cry 6 existed. Me too. Good times. But, no, nah, I mean, if I just want to get to it. Like, I'm, I'm having a good time with Skyrim. Jordan, what, 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 what have you been up to? Normally, going into this segment, I talk about something I've been real excited about, or something I've really been enjoying, or just something that's occupied a lot of my mental space lately. Um, this time, I'm going to use this segment to specifically, rec- to specifically recommend you don't play a game. So, back when this generation of consoles first launched in November... I, or November of 2020, I was just like, that Godfall game, that's something. That's like right up my alley. But I didn't get a hold of a PS5 at launch, so I tried playing it on my mid-range, as we've described earlier in the episode, uh, PC that couldn't run this game in the slightest. Like, absolute garbage. So I refunded it and kind of put this game out of my mind. So now that I have a PS5, a friend and I decided we were going to give Godfall an honest shot because it was on a pretty big sale this last week. There's a problem. Even though I only paid $20 for Godfall, that's still way too much. This game's real bad, y'all. It just feels bad to play. It has basically no story. It does look cool, but it's really inconsistent in its style. It Everything about it is just kind of wrong. <laughs> Which is a bummer because I think in premise, a quote-unquote looter slasher is a cool thing that they could do some cool stuff with. But instead of doing that, it's real clunky controls and really repetitive gear. And just, there's not a whole lot going for this one, y'all. I gave it the old college try and it just, it wasn't worth it. So, I I am officially going on record to say, don't buy Godfall. (laughs) Okay. Well, that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you would like to reach us, you got a lot of ways you can do it. Twitter, at TBMcast. Instagram, at Totally Biased Media. Email, totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Send us your reviews, your recommendations for the show, suggestions for how we can do things differently. Whatever you want to tell us, we want to hear it, even if it's bad. And only one of us will cry. But for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. I'm Jackson Walkup. You just felt the bias. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye.